And honestly, I think just like my curiosity between like having that friendship and other friends of different faiths and like seeing how faith was so tied to identity. And I was in the midst of trying to figure out who I am um, and how who I am is impacted by my childhood, but I'm also my own individual person. I think that really kind of sparked borderline obsessive fanatic tendencies to like learn about religion because it was this whole new world that I just really didn't understand or think about before. That was Allison. She's really passionate about advocating for better interfaith dialogue and a more holistic approach to finding the spiritual. I was like, well, you know, they're my parents. They'll, they'll like, they'll still love me and they'll still like, you know, like I should be able to tell them above anybody else. Right. So we got to the top of the hill on our walk and I, you know, told my dad what I had done. And that was probably, uh, it's probably one of the hardest memories in my life. Cause at that moment it was like, I died to him. That was Ashton. And he used to be a Jehovah's witness, but he was forced to leave and when he did he lost his relationship with his parents completely how do you how do you recover from that how do you move on how do you find anything new Allison and Ashton are starting a new podcast called What the Faith. And it's all about the fact that we live in this multi-faith society, which often results in misinformation and ignorance and disagreements, hate speech, violence, and even wars, sometimes even between people of the same belief system. Allison and Ashton started a podcast called What the Faith. What the Faith is a community more interested in the journey than the destination. They're more passionate about conversation than conversion. They're more driven by empathy than by division. In this podcast, What the Faith, Allison and Ashton interview people of many faiths and no faith. And their conversations are sparkling and delightful. They foster curiosity and compassion rather than division. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Allison and Ashton, and then I hope you go out and listen to their podcast. It's brand new. It's called What the Faith. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Enjoy. Ashton, Allison, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us on. Thanks so much. Oh my gosh, I love it. I mean, when I was on your, as as we talked about earlier, when I was on your uh, podcast, which we'll talk about later, uh, I was energized for like hours afterwards, actually, because uh, my sense is you like and desire some of the same things that I do when it comes to learning from other people. And so we're going to talk about your podcast that's uh, that you're releasing soon, uh, but I'd like each of you to um, introduce yourself any way that you'd like to, okay? Um, but give me the current version of like like who you are and sort of what what 
how you like to describe yourself, and then we'll go back and I want to hear more about your childhood. So Allison, let's maybe start with you. Yeah, um, my name is Allison. I currently live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, attended University of Oregon. That's how I ended up here. I'm originally from Southern California. Um, Me too. I, really? Yeah. Nice. Oxnard yeah. is where I'm from. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm from Orange County. Okay. Um, and I kind of what I I do a lot of different things, but currently what I'm working on most is obviously the What the Faith podcast um, and a few other just marketing things. Um, yeah. And so honestly, my main project right now is What the Faith and um, became interested in spirituality in college and so I've decided to to stay up here and pursue those things. Love it. What about you, Ashton? Yeah, I um I was born and raised in Portland, um, which that you know that it doesn't quite feel like Portland because of my background, but as a Joe's witness, and then I got out about two years ago. So now I've been kind of just continuing to climb the mountain of trying to figure out what's normal and also realizing that nothing really is normal. Um, and it's kind of growing as uh, a person, uh, learn, you know, continuing to learn um, to the point where now we've been able to make a platform with the faith around learning about other things and also uh, growing as a graphic designer and illustrator and kind of getting myself out there and learning more about art and kind of just taking on that all in so that way I can start giving it back to other people. Love it. So Ashton, I want to follow up with you just getting right into it. You said you grew up as a Jehovah's Witness and got out of it a couple of years ago. Um, so I'd love it if you would walk us through that journey a bit. I know there's a lot there, so share whatever you want to. Um, but maybe maybe start with, is it is it common for people to get out? It's definitely becoming more and more common. Okay. Um, I'd say the most common thing, um, which many witnesses I feel like don't understand is that most people who do get out, stay out, especially in the day of information, age of information. Um, because now you can just go on your phone and search those things that are a lot different than what you were told as a witness. And I uh, so you kind of start seeing some, oftentimes people start seeing holes that in where they were taught, um, whether it's in theology or whether it's in just like the history of the organization. Um, but I, I, more and more people, I think uh, with some other exponences and it's getting around like 65% or something of people born into being a witness end up leaving. So, and Whoa. I think that number's growing. Yeah. So what was your experience like as a kid growing up in your family being a part of the Jehovah's witnesses? It was, it was definitely hard. Um, I think one of the hardest things is, there, my family also went through tragedies that weren't uh, because of being a witness, but I think being a witness in many ways made those a lot harder. <clears throat> in some ways made it easier because they do have a very strong community, um, but in many ways made it a lot harder. Uh, for instance, when I was three years old, my younger brother died from brain cancer, um, which definitely broke my mom and she never recovered. I think she dealt with a lot of mental issues because of that, along with other struggles that she had uh, from her childhood. Um, but because, and it, I mean, this isn't just witnesses, but you know, therapy is kind of a taboo thing. There's this kind of weird relationship with, well, if you're doing things right, then God's going to be blessing you, right? And then, well, 
I'm trying to do things right, but I feel so terrible, you know, whether it's depression or anxiety or a whole slew of things. So she never really was able to get help, especially early on. And I think she kept deteriorating over time. And my dad um, is very much a rule abider. And mm. so wasn't able to kind of bend the rules maybe in his mind to try to see common sense, but more was like, well, this is what we're told to do. And so this is what we should do. And so it was things like that, that really kind of made it worse, uh, especially later on, my aunt died from the same thing my brother did. So my dad losing his sister the same way he lost his son. Um, you know, things like that. I think the there are certain things that made it worse or almost, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's arguments for, you know, divorce is a very serious thing, but sometimes having on the table makes it less likely that it'll come up or that you need it, you know, because, well, I still have to try because I, I don't want this person to leave me. But if it's 100% off the table, then sometimes a person can be so broken and say, well, my partner has to love me anyways, yeah. you know, and, you know, you're not. So it can, it can kind of break some certain relationships and definitely some, my dad, you know, focused more on work and his work in the church. Um, you know, to kind of, I think, stay afloat, you know, my, uh, and so through my childhood, it was definitely a lot of kind of struggling with a mom who didn't know kind of how to raise a child uh, emotionally. She just wasn't able to do it, I think, um, but still having to abide by the witness rules that don't really account for that kind of uh, relationship yeah. happening. Well, let me ask too, when tragedy happens, what is the Jehovah's Witness sort of theodicy? Like, you know, like how do they view God's role in pain and tragedy and stuff like, like what kind of answers would you get from other witnesses when you're going through a tough time? Well, it's definitely lots of times it's, well, they don't always have an answer for, I guess, what's bad. I, I don't think I can give a, a solid answer for that, like for like why a bad thing happened. Because they, they do say like time for non-foreseen occurrence. Uh, they believe that we're living. Well, they, they believe that in 1914, Satan was thrown to earth and is now like ruling over the entire planet. Um, and so they attest a lot to that for like why things are so bad. Um, and so they'd just be like, well, you know, he's going to be resurrected in the future. Uh, you're, like your brother's going to be resurrected. Okay. And so it's hard to grieve. I think because it's not, they're like, they're very sure of like this one way is going to happen. <clears throat> and so I think they have trouble. There's definitely a lot of people have trouble knowing exactly how to grieve yeah. over loss of a loved one, especially when, well, there's no, you don't need to grieve if, uh, you know, they're being resurrected. I think, and then part, part of the hard thing too is, I've, I have seen some, <clears throat> it's a weird relationship where I struggle with my parents. I don't think they knew how to handle the faith properly, especially while raising a kid. But then also my dad's brother, my uncle is one of those people that I, I maybe I want to go against the, that faith more and say more bad against it. But then also my uncle does a very good job. He raises his kids very well. I don't really have contact with him, but mm -hmm. somebody I respect seeing that some people can kind of work with the faith despite yeah. its, troubles well and i just in even even in our brief interactions back and forth about this i you, you have a tremendous respect for and it's clear that you're not trying to tear down anything yet 
it is your yet you have a uh, you have had a painful experience. I mean, you got you got disfellowshipped a couple of years ago versus just leaving. So, can you talk about like what what that what is that process like and what initiated that process yeah. even happening with you? Yeah, that was a that was a hard time. That was uh, one of the hardest times. I went through losing you know family and friends to death, but that was that hurt more. Wow. Um, which is a hard, a weird thing to say. It was, uh, you know, I, I mean, I can just get into it. I've told the story to other people, uh, <clears throat> but it started with, you know, I was in a, I was in a relationship and we didn't follow the, you know, abstinence from sex. Uh, but growing up a witness and being kind of so stressed out all the time, I kind of knew how to hide it. Uh, but eventually after my <clears throat> then girlfriend went off her, anxiety pills she was uh it started to get toward the guilt you know and i felt so bad especially you know it's a hard thing i've always i do believe that you know we're equal men and women <clears throat> but being in that faith um i wasn't quite where i was now and i was like well this is my fault mm. so i told her that we had to break up and come forward to to god and to uh, the elders in our prospective congregations about what we had done, because, you know, I felt like we had really displeased God, you know, um, which was a, such a hard thing for me to do. I mean, because of my home life, I was severely depressed. And uh, the girlfriend at that time had talked me off the ledge uh, a couple of times, you know, and so to tell her that, well, we have to end it was and it was a long conversation, a few hours. Yeah. <clears throat> that was really hard. So right after that conversation, I went to my dad. I was like, hey, can we go on a walk? Because I, I decided to tell him first, which is also also a hard thing to do because I, through my life, I'd never really told them of like a serious mistake that I had done, you know? And I was like, it, well, they're my parents, you know? And you said earlier he was kind of a rule abiding sort of a guy, yeah. right? So that must have been really hard. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, they're my parents. They'll, they'll like, they'll still love me and they'll still like, you know, like I should be able to tell them above anybody else. Right. So we got to the top of the hill on our walk and I, you know, told my dad what I had done. And that was probably, uh, it's probably one of the hardest memories in my life. Cause at that moment it was like, I died to him. Oh. Um, you know, <clears throat> and and I, you know, I didn't have a really a way to make a living because I was focused more on pioneer, like working as a witness uh, in the church at that time. Um, I was like, you know, can I still live at your house while I try to come back? Because I, I was coming forward to repent, you know, right. to be like, well, I, I don't want to. Um, I want to come back. I want to make it in. Because quick step back, Joe's witnesses believe that disfellowship people are people who aren't repentant. Oh, and a re and then if you are repent, if you come for, you know, I mean, it's taught that, well, if somebody is repentant about a sin they have done, then they'll be reproved, which is a public, you know, in front of the congregation, they'll say, well, so-and-so has been reproved, which in that is kind of humiliating. You yeah. don't know what they did, but <clears throat> so I, you know, I was like, well, I want to be repentant, uh, told my dad, you know, well, can I stay at, at your, live at your house, you know? I'll try to, you know, 
make things right. And he said, nope, that's not going to happen. Mm. Um, if you get to fellowship, then no. And so then it's about a week-long progress, uh, process, sorry. A few days later, I end up meeting with three men, three elders in a, in a room, which, I mean, is an intimidating thing to come forward yeah. about everything you had done. And they asked very, very private questions. And I felt bad about that. But then also at my time, my ex-girlfriend, mm-hmm. I felt bad for her to have to talk to three men about your sex life. And this is somebody who had been, who had gone through atrocities earlier in her life and didn't, shouldn't have had, you know, in my opinion, tell just three grown men oh. um, about every detail um, that they ask. And then a week later, they came back to me after the judicial committee, which I, I mean, in that, I went to them and I was sobbing for a couple hours, telling them what I'd done. Um, and then during the next week, I kind of spent that time praying to God, like praying to God in a way that I never had before, hmm. you know, like with everything I had um, pretty constantly. And a week later, they're like, well, you're disfellowshipped. We found that you aren't repentant enough yet. And so that was that, pretty much. Uh, so I had about a month to move out of my house, uh, my parents' house, I mean. Moved out to a room. And uh, I mean, I, I kept trying to go through there, you know, being re- uh coming back that you can be reinstated as a witness, but you kind of have to be a hermit for a year yeah. um, and do all the witness things without talking to any of the witnesses because they're all shunning you. Um, that didn't work out as I started learning things. But I remember once I moved out and got into this room, like this is everything I know, like the entire world outside of where I'm at uh, and outside of this room is a complete mystery. Yeah. Um, and that, that was about one of the hardest months of my life and that's two years ago i mean this is relatively recently right yeah oh my gosh um and so allison i want to get to you because your story is really powerful as well but one more just follow-up question i think ashton so like do you have no contact with your family and former friends at this point uh former friends no uh, my dad contacted me a couple times. Um, like they let me know they moved to Montana. Hmm. I think, I don't know how long ago, I think like about a year ago. And so they let me know. And there was like a few things I'd left at their house. And so they had me come pick it up. And that was, that was pretty much it. There was no, yeah, there's no real, I mean, actually very interestingly, my uncle, I hadn't talked to him because I didn't even get to say goodbye. My dad told me, well, you, like basically don't get to say goodbye. Like, you know, you know, he, he was very, he, I think he was very hurt and like didn't really know what to think and stuck to his rules, you know, above all else or what, you know, and how he saw them. Um, and the contact I heard from my uncle, which is definitely bending the rules for him. Um, he just said, you know, like, well, we're here if you want to come back. It's always around, it surrounds coming back. You know, it's mm-hmm. always like, well, we love you and we're here for you when we want to come back. Although my uncle had a much, I think, healthier way of telling me. Uh, and my response from me, he, he's, you know, one of the things that touched me the most was he said that 
he felt sorry that he didn't intervene earlier on. But mm. I told him that even though I don't believe in God the same way I used to, that when I saw that I had escaped the house I grew up in and how hard that house was for me, that I had never felt more saved. Mm. And I think I'm hoping that, you know, reached him in some way. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that is so profoundly um, horrible, horrific what happened to you. And even the fact that you're just doing life in a semi-normal way is pretty amazing, Ashton. I have a million more questions, but we just don't have time to get into them. Hopefully we'll, we'll get back into them. But Allison, but so thank you, Ashton, so much for sharing even that thumbnail sketch. I'm sure there's, you know, books and books more of your experience that you could share. Um, Allison, you were born to a couple of teenagers who were addicts. Yes. So tell me about, you know, like your earliest childhood memory and what childhood was like for you. Yeah, for sure. Sorry. So it's always hard to, to follow up after I Ashton's. Know, I know. Um, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's always hard for me to talk about my childhood because in so many ways I had a way more normal childhood than like most people like and I actually didn't realize that until I went to college um because I was eventually raised by my um my dad's parents so my grandparents um they took me in at age three um so you know I feel pretty blessed by that I think um my life would have turned turned out a lot differently had I been raised um in the household with with my biological parents um, but yeah, my, my mom and dad met, um, they never dated, um, just kind of like hookup buddies, um, to my, to my knowledge, um, they met in rehab. So love story of a century, mm. <laughs> uh, just young. And, um, um, it's important to notice note too, that my parents, um, so my mom, uh, was a meth addict and then my dad, um, struggled with gambling. So two different addictions. Um, but I think both very difficult and also at that time um too um i'm not that old i was born in 1996 but even in the mid 90s like gambling wasn't really seen as an addiction and and so um you know my my dad uh struggled with gambling in high school and i think my grandparents just were kind of at their wits end didn't really know what to do with them so they gave my dad two options, either went into the military or he went to rehab. And so at the time going to rehab, um, you know, m majority of the people he was around were dealing with, you know, drug addicts or alcoholics. Um, so that's where he met my mom. Um, uh, <clears throat> um, so yeah. And at the time too, my dad had been kicked out of my grandparents' house. So that was kind of an estranged relationship. And it, I don't think my grandparents knew I was even coming into the world until my mom was about like eight months pregnant. Wow. <laughs> um, and so for the first three years of my life, I lived um, at my other grandma's house. So my mom's mom, um, my grandpa on my mom's side also struggled with addiction and alcohol being an alcoholic. Uh, so he was out of the picture, but I was primarily raised by my other grandma for the first three years. Um, but as you can imagine, that was just chaotic. My mom was pretty much in and out the whole time. Um, you know, just going to raves or drug bins or whatever she's doing. Um, and then also my uncle, my mom's brother, um, struggled with 
addiction and um, to my knowledge was selling drugs out of the house. Um, and the reason I'd see why I ended up with my grandparents raising me was when I was about three, I was in daycare and uh, I was super sick. I think I had like 102 fever. No one could come pick me up. And so um, my grandparents came to the daycare, picked me up and they were going to drop me off back at my mom's house. And when they walked into the house, a, I think my uncle was just in the back selling drugs. And so anybody with a, a brain would never leave a three-year-old in a house alone with a bunch of teenage boys selling and doing drugs. Um, so my grandparents took me and I think my mom showed up uh, after a few weeks and tried to call the cops for kidnapping, but she had a warrant out for her arrest. So she just called the cops on herself. Mm -hmm. um, and so my grandparents got me. And at that point too, it was nice in some of my, honestly, my like earliest childhood memories um, was fine because my dad was able to be back in the house. My, my grandparents let him back in kind of as like, hey, we'll help raise Allison um, and you can get your life together. And honestly, at that point, things were pretty good. I mean, when you're a kid, you just don't know, you know, like I had no clue how bad things were like to me it was just a very simple like well, why can't my mom and dad be together like I didn't understand yeah. that uh and honestly shit didn't hit the fan until my dad met my future stepmom um to be honest like yeah things were kind of rough but we were making amends my grandma also has like an incredible ability to just like bring people together like our family's gone through like a lot and the fact that like all of us even now can sit at a dinner table together is like pretty yeah. remarkable. And, and so we were doing pretty well. And then my stepmom entered the picture and just destroyed like any amount of like normalcy, uh, kind of came in and really just fought my grandparents on a lot of things. I think my dad at the time just like, didn't have a backbone to step in and call her out on her or her crap. Um, and that kind of like started, I was in kindergarten at that time. And that started about a like seven year, just hell. Like my childhood was, it, it's hard because I was living in such a stable like household when I was with my grandparents, but like everybody else that was in my family just was awful. Like I remember telling, I had to go to like a family therapist when I was a kid that I just felt like a volleyball. Like I was just constantly being moved back and forth between homes. And I never really felt like anybody, like no one was in it for me. It was always like for somebody else's ego. Like I wasn't, and I think my grandparents were really the only two people that like truly had my best interests at heart. Everybody else just like wanted to win some game or like prove something. And I mean, just everything from, you know, like my stepmom uninvited me to my dad and her's wedding. I was not allowed to be at my father's wedding because I was a in first grade and forgot to say hello to her at like a, an event, oh. you know, like I'm a first grade kid, Yeah. you know? And so having to listen to a phone call where your dad's uninviting you to his own wedding. Mm. And even though like now, it, honestly, it probably hurts more now being an adult and like looking back and realizing how shitty everybody was. But even when I was a kid, you know, that hurts. And, and then in the midst of that, just dealing with my mom who was in and out of prison um, since the time I was born all the way up to um, about eighth grade, you know, and just like always being estranged. And 
that was always a weird dynamic. I'd have to go, you know, every time I saw her, I'd have to have a police escort. Like that's just not normal, you know, like no kid should see that. And I think honestly too, like I was exposed, I was exposed to so much as a kid, um, though I was living in such a stable household that it's, it's, it's a weird, it's like a polarization because, you know, I was able to like have piano lessons and do all these things yet. I was also seeing a lot of chaos within my family. And I think my grandparents were tried their best to shelter me from as much as they could. And I think they did a good job, but you know, that stuff still comes up. And I think also they sheltered me because I grew up in Orange County and no one lived with their grandparents unless their parents died. Like it's just, it's just not a thing. And so I think my grandparents tried to shelter me and encourage me not to really, you know, tell people totally why, like who my parents were just because kids were mean, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it all ultimately too, a, a lot of, you know, I've never had a totally normal relationship with either one of my parents. And I don't think my stepmom helped that at all, especially with my dad. Um, but yeah, I mean, my dad and my grandparents had a custody battle, you know, I mean, my grandparents took their son to court and that lasted all throughout elementary school. Um, I don't think there's a photo of me smiling as a kid until I was like in middle school. Wow. Like it was pretty, pretty rough. So Allison, how do you, what were some of the lifelines that sort of, you know, saved you probably from who knows what? I mean, um, what helped you during, well, let me ask you, oh yeah, yeah. Let me ask that question. What, what helped you survive that kind of chaos? Um, well, my grandparents, that's for sure. It's interesting. I listened to, um, I don't know where I read it, but there was this guy who gave a, a talk and he was saying that, you know, people, people's, uh, your, your parents' DNA, you know, oftentimes we all have issues with our parents, but whatever reason like god knew that that was just like the two dnas that you needed um and i also feel that way about who my grandparents are like for my personality and also just like what i went through as a kid like i couldn't have had a better like mother and father figure like yeah. in my grandparents um and i'm sure ashton could also say that because he knows my grandparents but like I, they, they were just like perfect for my personality and what i was going through and um and I think it's like such a testament to them too, because, you know, I had always thought that there had to have been some conversation between my grandparents if they were going to choose to raise me, you know, like I always just assumed that was a thing. And then it wasn't until like two years ago, I was talking to my grandma about it and she was like, they never talked about it. It was just a given that they were the only two kind of functional ones. And here was this kid who was born innocently into the world. Um, and so I don't know, I think that my grandparents like unconditional love, but also their honesty, like I always knew what was going on. And I think that that was a really good thing. It's hard to hear, you know, like I remember our first trip we were going to take to Hawaii. I was so afraid to go to Hawaii because my mom would write me letters from jail and she would like lie in the letter and say she was in Hawaii. You know, and so as a kid, I was connecting that like, well, bad people go to Hawaii. So why are we going 
on a family trip there. And so I think for my grandparents to like, they were always so honest with me of like, Hey, here's, this is, this is the situation. This is where your mom is. This is what's going on with your dad. Um, for as much as I think they protected me and sheltered me, they also were very, very honest. And I felt like I could confide in them. I mean, I have a, I've always had a very trusting relationship with my grandparents. There's never been anything that I haven't told them. And I think it's because like when I was, since I was an infant, they've always been very open and honest. And I think that was really helpful. And I also think just like the community that was around us, like a lot of our family friends, um, some of those people testified in court. I had elementary school teachers who had to testify in court. Like there was just a lot of people who I think were just like very supportive or just acknowledged what I was going through. And that also impacted, you know, my education. Like I didn't learn how to fully read until like the third or fourth grade, just not because I couldn't do it just because I was so emotionally distraught. And so, I don't know. I think it was like definitely my grandparents and then family friends. Yeah. That like really got me through. Yeah. It sounds like your grandparents did a great job in building trust by, not sugarcoating anything, um, but providing that stable environment and telling you the truth, which I think so many times kids get that are in tough situations like that, people shield them from what's really going on in order to protect them, maybe, but it ends up confusing them even more, you know? So it sounds like your grandparents really, really did right by you and built a lot of trust with you, right? Yeah. Well, I, 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 both of you, I want to, I want you both to answer this question. If you would, how do you think some of your pain, uh, and brokenness has led you to such, uh, a, a journey of curiosity about God and faith? I think a big one for me was, uh, when I got out and especially once I had, disproved that faith in my mind, at least a lot of main elements. I, I mean, I approached it, uh, scientifically kind of, you know, disproving kind of the Bible, like yeah. how could science argue it? And then also theologically, you know, reading the Bible, um, kind of again from a fresh lens and seeing kind of the things that didn't line up. And <clears throat> so having sw- completely switched realities, um, I had gone from being a very devout Jehovah's Witness. I mean, and I was judgmental too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, if somebody wasn't, was I'm like, well, you're you're dying at Armageddon, you know, like yeah. that's just what's going to happen. And then yeah. I even kind of judged witnesses who maybe weren't as quote unquote strong in the faith, you know. Um, I was like, well, they're not going to make it either. And I, I as and so coming from a then being in a different direction seeing the naivety in that I was like, how could I, how could I possibly do that? You know, especially now that I think that it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so it's such a weird feeling. And then, so it's kind of a mixture of, well, other people have such similar experiences. Uh, and as far as I know, I could switch into in 10 years, I could go through something and switch into their reality. Mm-hmm. Maybe I end up being a Buddhist in 10 years. I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That could be what I believe. It's even though I don't think I will be, it's very possible. Yeah. Um, and so how could like I judge their beliefs, especially without knowing about it. Mm-hmm. And so it's just the continue, like wanting to learn, well, how do you see the world? Like 
because it, it is like a living in a different world almost because you see things so differently. It's like, how does it really affect you and how does it see you? And the more I was able to learn and kind of just talk to people um, without judging them, but just kind of wanting to know about them and their story, the more comfortable I felt just like living in the real, yeah. the real world, I guess the um, living in this new reality, um, just the better it, the better it was, the more I, learned about people you know your experience and how you express it um, makes me think of like when you're like imagine yourself in in a snow globe right <laughs> right like literally in a snow globe well not literally but metaphorically in a in a in a snow globe but that's that's what you grew up with so that was jehovah's witness for you and that's what reality is you know so in but it's only until it's only if you're able to look get outside of that and observe the snow globe right that you're able yeah. to go, well, wait a minute. Okay. I think we talked about this before, but like, yeah. So, but that's, that gives you a kind of perspective that allows you to see truth in many more arenas than you had before. Um, I think you, um, that's just fascinating how, and, and you had to go through this period where you understood that you were pretty judgmental. <laughs> I think yeah, that we was... all, when we're honest, I think we all have to go like, oh my gosh, like my former self really judged people and maybe my current self does too. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, um, so thank you for that. What about you, Allison? What, uh, how do you think your maybe experiences of pain and brokenness have led you to be in this expansive journey that you're on right now? Yeah, I definitely, um, I think my curiosity just for, faith in general really didn't start until I went to college. Um, you know, I was raised in an Easter Christmas family kind of thing, but I didn't really totally get what faith was for. Um, I don't think I'm naturally a spiritual person. I don't, I don't think I am, but I, when I just went to college and started meeting all these different types of people, you know, I was in the midst of really trying to unpack a lot of my childhood you know, I, th I think that there got to a point where I, I thought I had gotten over it. And then all of a sudden I'm in college, I'm starting to become a young adult, I'm starting to have my own life. And that's kind of when I realized that I was having like really, I had some negative tendencies with friendships or relationships that would go awry. And I started to notice a pattern. <laughs> yeah. And that was that was when I kind of realized like, well, okay, there's clearly a pattern here. How is this, is this connected at all to my childhood? And it wasn't really until I started to unpack that and start to think about my childhood more from an adult lens, um, did I also then kind of come to the conclusion that I had no idea what I thought about faith or religion. Like I was baptized Catholic, but that doesn't count. You know, like yeah, I was trying yeah. to figure out all of these things. And then it, it actually was through um, a very unlikely friendship with a very devout Jew um, that even like sparked my interest in religion. Um, and honestly, I think just like my curiosity between like having that friendship and other friends of different faiths and like seeing how faith was so tied to identity. And I was in the midst of trying to figure out who I am um, and how who I am is impacted by my childhood, but I'm also my own individual person. Yeah. I think that really kind of sparked 
borderline obsessive fanatic tendencies to like learn about religion because it was this whole new world that I just really didn't understand or think about before. Wow. I love it. So this project that you're working on, this podcast called What the Faith, uh, maybe if each of you could describe what your hope is for the podcast and why are you putting it out? Yeah. Um, my hope is really to allow people to have different types of discussions. You know, I think my original idea with this came from a lot of my personal frustration of just not seeing enough resources for people to learn about other religions. You know, there's always podcasts or books about politics and Christianity or, um, you know, a, a Muslim's perspective, but there was never a conversation about, well, what is somebody, what, what's another religion's response to this issue? Um, and so my hope is to be able to provide a platform where people can really dive into some hard things you know, because for as much as we talk about politics and cultural, social issues, we rarely seem to talk about religion and faith in the same way. Yeah, We talk amongst people of the same faith identity, but you don't see a lot of conversation between people of all different religions. Yeah, And just from my experience being within the Christian community, I saw such a lack of that a happening, but then also a lack of desire to have that happen because right. <laughs> I don't, I don't think people know a lot. So that would be my hope is just allowing people the opportunity and the confidence to have those discussions and think critically about different topics. Love it. Um, and that just comes through <laughs> in, I think your own story. And so I love it. What about you, Ashton? What's your hope for what the faith I mean, I'm really hoping to kind of make a resource for people to start making connections. You know, I grew up with, like you said, living that snow globe. And it it was 21 years before I broke out of it, at least for the first time. And I feel like if I'd kind of had more information coming in, maybe in an accessible, like a podcast format, it would have made that easier, um, especially make connections with people and understand while and it's because we believe different things. We're actually not that different. There's a lot of similarities across all these different faiths and in the differences that there are in them. Well, if we can learn those two, then maybe, you know, we'll understand those differences and they won't be as foreign to us. They'll just be, well, like that's what you believe. And you, what's the right way to say it? I mean, that way, when you see somebody and you get to know somebody, you can understand them. Hopefully, we can start understanding them in a more fuller sense than just kind of taking the surface level so that way we can protect our own beliefs. Yes. If we can get beyond protecting and defending our own beliefs in order to be right, and if we can create space for people to share what it is that they feel deeply convicted by and what it is that holds them together. I think we are expanded, you know? And so I love, I love what you're doing. Uh, so tell us like, is the hope to interview people from a bunch of different faiths? Is, uh, um, are you going to get people even in dialogue together from time to time? What's the, what's the plan moving forward or what's your, like, who are some of, 
well, not who are some of your guests. We'll, we'll let that be secret. But um, what's the plan moving forward for what kind of people you're hoping to have on? Yeah, I mean, definitely the goal is to cover all religions. I mean, at least with this first go around, we've talked to atheists living in the Bible Belt, to conservative evangelical pastors, to a member of the Satanic Temple, Buddhism. Um, we were able to um, interview a transgender Muslim. I mean, it's it's been pretty much across the board, and we definitely want to continue that. Um and showcase, I mean, as far as religion and perspective goes, pretty much everything's on the table um, as far as what we're willing to cover. And I think that having the ability to show all different sides of not just religion, but perspectives within religions, I think is also key. Yeah. Uh, because even within one faith identity, there can be thousands of different opinions and all those kinds of things. So that's definitely the goal. And I think that we're hoping to also eventually expand kind of this, what the faith podcast into a full platform. Um, you know, once, once maybe events are allowed back and provide resources and things like that. Incredible. So how can people follow? How can people listen in? I think we're, uh, we're going to be having the, what the faith on most streaming podcast, streaming services. Um, and so, if they search that up, there's a, there's a teaser up right now. And then uh, pretty soon we're going to be releasing the intro episode and a couple starter episodes to get, get people going and then uh, be releasing from there. All right. So if people search what the faith in Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever, um, Spotify, they should be able to find it somewhere. And I'm going to link the show in the show notes. I'll link um, the main website, whatthefaith.space, correct? That's the that's the main website, and you can go from there. Um, you can also follow them on Instagram. They're at whatthefaithspace. And on Facebook, uh, whatthefaithspace. Um, any other things that you wanted to share with us before we sign off here? Um, well, thanks for having us. Oh, first off. my gosh, I loved it. You guys are amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that we really hope that people take away great stuff from what the faith, um, you know, we, we just want this. Well, we've learned so much from all of these interviews already. You know, I think at the least Ashton and I have been, um, very, changed and impacted by the people we've had the opportunity to talk to. And so I think we hope that for listeners and I'm excited. I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And I'd also like to add to that. I mean, for people who have stories and who, you know, have maybe atypical or just, you know, have gone through so much with their faith, um, no matter what it is, you know, we, we don't have time to get to everybody, but we also do want to focus on, you know, we're talking to a lot of kind of leaders and, um, and thought and ideas, but also it's great to have, I mean, one of our favorite episodes was um, somebody who she went through divorce to Mormonism. And so we'd love to kind of hear from some people, from some people if they have stories that they kind of want to share and mm -hmm. uh, kind of get some more and build that community it would be great. If they, uh, I know, what, what was the email, Allison? Uh, for what the faith? Yeah. Yeah, it's just what the faith space at gmail.com. 
All right. So if people have a sh- have a story they want to share, they can email you at what the faith space. Dot, okay, what the faith space at gmail at gmail.com. All right, you guys. Well, I loved having you both on. I wish we had another hour or two to hear more about your stories. I just had so many follow-up questions that I didn't have time to ask. <laughs> but I'm excited for your podcast, um, it, What the Faith. And I'm going to read uh, how you say it just to end it here because I think it's so beautiful. We're a community more interested in the journey than the destination. We're a community more passionate about conversation than conversion. We're a community more driven by empathy than by division. So is there any way we can find commonality amongst utter chaos? Can we acknowledge a reality different from our own? Can we embrace curiosity over certainty? Can we celebrate empathy? What the faith is a place to unpack these questions. Come on, people, get into it. All right, you guys, thank you so, so much. Hey, thank you, Steve. Thank you. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.